Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Um, this podcast catches me in Atlanta, Georgia. Never been here before and got here right when the leaves are changing color. I was told there's going to be about two days of this, and it was like totally perfect timing. So I'm just enjoying Hashem's world immensely. So many different colors on the trees. But it's Tuesday, the 8th of November, 14th day of Cheshvan, 5783. And I didn't come here to see the leaves. I came here because two people have become good friends in a way that people, even whom you haven't known for a long time, but you just like zero right into the common passions and the common things that make you tick. Well, that's what happens. So last year, I was really privileged to guide the Holland family in Israel. Mutual friends sent them to me. We had an amazing time, but more than that, we understood that we have the same concerns for the future and especially for our kids uh, in the Jewish world and in the Israeli sphere. So they invited me down here to Atlanta and uh, had one meeting last night with the parents going in a couple of hours to have a meeting with the school, but with most of the school, uh, the older kids, which should be super interesting. And uh, I just wanted to have Hillary articulate from their side. I mean, you guys know what I do and what I do about Israel, but from the side of um, Americans, Jews, and I would also imagine many Christians in the situation where um, most of the kids are getting information, that's probably not true. How do you counteract that? How do you get them to care about God, about peoplehood, in an atmosphere that is increasingly getting more intimidating and even violent towards really good kids who, you know, just want to be able to live their lives. So, Hillary, thank you so much for joining me very early this morning before your kids get up and before your day gets going. And to share some personal thoughts, and I know it's not always easy, but I know that there's other people out there for whom I think your messaging will resonate. And it's important for people to not feel alone and to feel that there is what that we can do. Hi, Eve. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and an honor to have such an illustrious, world-renowned okay. <laughs> thinker, speaker, guide, all of the things. It's, it's such a privilege for, for me personally and for the Atlanta community to be able to welcome um, such an important uh, speaker who's so educated and knowledgeable about the things that we're discussing and so many other things that we can't even touch on because we just simply don't have the time. Um, but um, like you said, I'm Hillary. I'm originally from Miami. And um, we moved to Atlanta last year uh, with our children. And, um, you know, I found very early on that, you know, uh, Miami has a real zest for Zionism and uh, a real um, interest in instilling in their children, a love of being Jewish, a love of um, their people, a love of the state of Israel. And Atlanta, it seems, is, you know, while Zionistically inclined, they have, you know, not the same ability for some reason to imbue those values um, into their kids in the same sort of way. And so part of what I wanted to do in bringing you to town was to try to sort of start to open the eyes of the people here that, you know, there's something missing. And especially as the world gets increasingly more verbal about their anti-Semitism. I mean, we know that it never goes away, right? But now people are becoming more comfortable being anti-Semitic out in the open, which is a scary thing. And kids are being attacked online. 
Um, they're being attacked on campus. Um, you know, they can't go to a, you know, a baseball game or a basketball game, you know, if they're wearing a kippah. You know, it can, you, can, you question your choices and you question for the safety of yourself and your children. And that's scary. And so um, what we're trying to do by bringing you here to speak with our community is to try to give our, um, our people, our parents, our children, the tools to figure out how to be proud how to be knowledgeable about um, who Israel is, because so much of what is going on is, you know, people hiding their anti-Semitism, their anti-Semitism in a political opinion. So they attack Israel. They call Israel an apartheid state. They, they say that, you know, Israel is doing this, 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 and that. They're stealing land. They've stolen land. They're, they're, they're punishing people. They're enslaving people. They're encamping people. They're all of the things that we know aren't true and aren't going on. So trying to give the history to the kids and the parents to take back the narrative, to figure out how to challenge what people are saying in an intelligent, meaningful, and an impactful way. So that's what I hope that we're, we're starting to do. Mm-hmm. So this is difficult because some of what's hitting the kids is physical. You know, if somebody comes up to you in the parking lot of the game, wherever you went, and says something about the shirt you're wearing, because it's the school shirt, maybe it has a Magen David on it. So, you know, are we going to tell our kids, well, just turn around and punch that kid in the nose? Uh, probably not, A, because they don't have the physical means to do so, which is maybe another issue um, that there was a very, very interesting blog that was written a couple of months ago by a professor at Bar-Ilan named Zev Magen. And he was saying that every Jew should also physically be able to defend themselves. Those days of the weak Jews who get their hats knocked off or get pushed around and can't answer need to be over. So maybe that's also something that should be ingrained there um, at some point. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. My kids are already older. Um, and, but also like for girls, wouldn't hurt to be able to defend themselves in any situation. So maybe that's something that, that should be provided, but that's certainly not the answer to get into a fist fight with somebody who comes up and calls you a kike or, or whatever it is, or, or makes fun of you. So, um, what were, what are you thinking as a parent are the ways to educate and to empower the kids, um, when this kind of situation comes up? So I think... I mean, obviously, there's, you know, a physical element, as you're discussing, you know, that you, God forbid, you don't want to have to have your children be in a situation where, you know, someone is assaulting them physically. More often, the assault comes with words. Um, But, you know, of course, there is, you know, always someone who's stupid enough to try to put their hands on someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, having the physical ability to defend yourself is always important, whether it's a boy or a girl. Um, But that's not really who we're dealing with here. You know, I mean, like I said, you know, there's always the off chance that someone's going to put their hands on you. But more often than not, I think that kids are really seeing, you know, um, verbal attacks uh, online and they're seeing them, you know, on campus, you know, when you, if you see students for justice in Palestine, you know, on your campus or you're watching a YouTube video and there's covert, you know, anti-Semitism, you know, like if they're watching something and, you know, one of the YouTubers says, you know, something about the physical appearance of someone, oh, you look like a Jew or something like that. So, you know, you have to be, we have to be able to educate our kids in what covert anti-Semitism looks like and overt anti-Semitism. And, and, you know, it's not just about, um, 
the physical aspect of being able to defend yourself. It, you know, you, you have to be able to read certain books, know certain history, um, you know, giving the kids tools to Israel advocacy and the tools to knowing their own history because Israel history is Jewish history mm-hmm. and being able to pass on that lexicon of terms, of dates, of names, of places, of events is critical. And I uh, took a course with uh, an incredible teacher in Miami, Sharon Cement. I uh, was a teacher at Hebrew Academy for 40 plus years. And um, me and a group of girlfriends took a course uh, in Israel. And we went to Israel after uh, or in the midst of, of the class. And we we had the opportunity to not to just you know, learn about these names and dates and places in an abstract way. We went and we visited. So I think it's a two-part It's a two-part answer. I think the first thing is really knowing your stuff. And the second thing is being able to go to the land and connect the stories to the place. Because Jewish history is Israel history. And being able to sort of have an immersive experience when you're learning about, you know, the Balfour Declaration, or you're learning about certain wars that happened in 1967 and the partition plans and, you know, you know, the San Remo conference and what do all these things mean in the context of what you, where you stand as a Jewish person and what our beliefs are and what we have to protect. And so, you know, I think that having the ability to go on a trip, but more importantly, knowing the facts, reading as much as you can, having reliable news sources um, for where you get your information, because things happen immediately. News travels faster than the truth, okay? And, you know, a lie has gotten its pants on faster than, what's Mm -hmm. what's the quote? A lie gets its pants on faster before the truth puts on its socks or or whatever, you know, gets halfway around the world, you know? So it's, it's our job as parents to really be able to have the resources to pass on to our children to say, these are the books that you should be reading. These are the new sources that you should be quoting from and getting your information from, reliable, truthful sources. And um, I think that's the responsibility, responsibility that we have to give to our kids because they might not want to challenge every person that they see, but at least they'll know the truth <clears throat> Excuse me, about who they are. And that's the important thing. It's not about getting into a fight with every single person that you come across who says the wrong thing. It's about giving them the confidence in the knowledge and giving them the ability to be proud of the history and the peoplehood and the self-confidence to say, I know who I am. I'm a proud Jew. And that's okay. You don't have to believe what I know to be true. But I know it. And it, it it has the effect of... A, giving them self-confidence, and B, not being afraid that when someone says something that they're questioning who they are or feel that um, being a Jew is burdening, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're being attacked all the time and told that they're wrong or they feel that they're responsible for what's going on in Israel. Um, And it's hard to be Jewish, you know. It's not easy, and and kids just want to fit in, and they... They need the ability to um, find um, a common ground amongst their people and find pride in that. And I think that it's not as it's not easier 
it's not as easier. It's not as easy as said than done, you know? Mm -hmm. So being able to, as parents, give them those resources and that foundation, I think is critical. Well, and it's one of the reasons that you brought me to this particular school. I'm not speaking on a college campus. We're talking to the middle school, to the high schoolers, where it's before they get to campus and encouraging them to accrue those tools now so that when they do get to the campus, and they inevitably will, they know how to respond. Because otherwise, a lot of these kids are going to the campuses and just getting bowled over by nothing that they expected not wanting to affiliate publicly as a Jew, not wanting to go to Hillel House for a Shabbat or the Chabad or whatever it is, and just kind of laying low, and even being ashamed of being Jewish because they just want to fit in. Um, what's interesting about all that's happening here is it definitely it fits in, I think, with identity issues anyway. And of course, you go back to the Bible of just a couple of weeks ago, the portion that we read, which talks about the Tower of Babel, which theoretically should have been like the perfect situation. Everybody's working together for a common goal. I mean, isn't that what we say we want our societies to do? The Bible's making a really interesting statement when it says no, all right? Not just because you're trying to get towards God, all right? It doesn't matter how big you big the zig- build you big the ziggurat, you're not getting to heaven, and anyhow, God's everywhere. You could have stayed on the ground. But it's that messaging that people should be different. The world is an interesting place when there are different people, different languages, um, I look at Europe, for example, because, again, I'm constantly bouncing between what happens in the Bible and practical applications of today. I look at Europe that's trying desperately to fudge all those identities, to have one currency, to have open borders, and it's not working because people inherently want to belong to something a little bit unique, not better than anybody else, although in the case of food, you could make a really good case that Italian and French food is much better than British food, but leaving that aside, but the the British have some things that are better than other countries. It's not about better or worse. It's about different and unique, and that's what makes the world such an interesting place. God did not create Stepford Planet. He created a, a world of in- interesting people who all have their parts to play. When you look at like an orchestra, it doesn't matter how incredible the bass player is. If there aren't a whole lot of different instruments playing with him, then it just doesn't sound as beautiful as the one. And so the Jews have an interesting part to play in here, but I think a lot of times were accused either being too different or too the same or fitting in. And ironically, you said it's easy to, to, it's hard to be a Jew. And it is because very often we're out of step with what a lot of other people are doing. Like based on what I just said, Israel's out of step because it's a nationalistic state. Saying Jewish state, Jewish state, when other people are saying, no, 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 that's all wrong. So sometimes we're out of step, but sometimes we just want to belong It has been a hard and long road of being persecuted, mainly because we're different. We don't believe in the same gods as other people. We eat differently. We don't eat that. We do this. We have different holidays. We worship a God that nobody can see, all right, which for a lot of people still in the world, I mean, there's still idol worship and paganism in the world. That doesn't make any sense. And we just want to fit in. It's it would like uh, my feeling sometimes we're just so tired of fighting. So now I live in a country, I chose to live in a country where we can't be tired of fighting because we're fighting every single day. And we have no choice. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a country. But when I come to the States where to some degree it is easy to be a Jew in the sense of it's easy to have a Jewish life, there's kosher food like never before. And the synagogues and the Jewish day schools like you and other people have established. And in many ways, the irony is that because it's easy, 
I don't know if the kids appreciate how hard and long people had to work in order to make this happen. All right. I remember, I mean, I read an article not long ago about the OU, which is like the major kosher, um, you know, the giver of, of kashrut in America. It didn't just happen overnight. All right. And a lot of people had to work hard in order for their, and to build mikvaot and to build the trappings of Jewish life. So it would keep easy. And ironically, when it's never been easier, or when it's also easy to step out. When the messaging that's being given by the very liberal left, shall we say, is that everybody's the same. So if everybody's the same, and everybody's the same in terms of their human and equal rights, it doesn't matter to me what, who you are, what you do, who you sleep with, what color your skin is. You should be able to have the same rights as anybody else. But is there still a uniqueness here? You know, and I hear this, like, and I just guided a group in Israel, and the women were telling me what's going on with their kids. So, like, why marry a Jewish person? And I'm speaking also here to maybe Christians who are listening or others who are listening, you know, where I know it hurts them just as much when they've raised biblically-oriented children, children of faith, whatever faith it is, who choose then to leave the faith when, when they're, you know, a grown-up and raising their own family. So how important is that? I mean, how do we get the kids to feel like this is, I'm not better than anybody else. It's a very fine line here. I'm not better than anybody else, but I have a different job to do in this world. And, and maybe we need to bring it down to ourselves personally. Like I personally am not better than anyone else. I have a certain skill set that is possibly better than other people have. And then there's some things that I'm so abysmal at that I can't even begin to like you know, talk about it. It's just like not happening. All right. I can't get on a pair of ice skates. I can't even stand on a pair of ice skates. I fall down. All right. And so we all have that. Nobody can do everything. And, you know, my feeling, and this took a long time and a lot of introspection during my life is Hashem gave each one of us a unique set of skills. Instead of fighting it and trying to be something else, go with it. So the Jews have a unique role to play in the world. And I think a role that we haven't always done perfectly, but we've pr- done pretty damn well when I look at what the world considers morality, I'm not talking about the far left, but in general, about not stealing, about not all of that. That comes straight out of the Bible. How, how do you as a parent, how do we in general get our kids to feel pride without arrogance, all right, to be... Um, to be uh, happy about what they have and appreciative of what they have without feeling entitled. Okay, these are very small nuances, but they end up making all the difference. So, like, those are challenges for you and for your friends. How, how do you go about dealing with that? So, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that, you know, this is the ultimate question of parents in any scenario, you know, whether you um, are someone who's gifted in school, but most of the kids aren't, or if you're someone who's much more financially secure uh, than other families, or whether you're, you know, Jewish and, you know, you're entering the world. I think that this is, you know, these are the really tough questions that we're constantly asking ourselves. You know, how does my uh, uniqueness set me apart? How am I different? Okay. Because like you said, we all want to be the same. At the same time, you know, we have this real societal push for oneness. You know, we're all the same. We're all one. And it sort of whitewashes this idea that, well, you know, you can't say that we're all one and then also want to push for, well, what makes me unique? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have this idea in society 
of, uh, you know, we're all human and we're all one and we're all the same. Um, but then you have this real push. Um, I think uh, as you find it especially among people who lean towards more liberalism that, um, towards liberalism that, um, you know, the underdog is the person who we really need to be paying attention to right now. So, you know, you have, you have this idea that, um, and, and I haven't really, I've thought about it for a really long time, but I haven't really articulated and crystallized my thoughts on this, but I'm going to go ahead and just sort of give like a, the broad strokes of it. But, you know, I find that the kids today want to set themselves apart by um, their underdoggedness. So they are constantly identifying with the underdog, whether that's someone who is LGBTQ, whether that's someone who's a marginalized race, whether that is someone who, um, you know, crosses some of these sort of, quote, intersectionality lines that we hear about um, that sets them apart. And I think that, um, you know, affirmative action had a lot to do with that sort of lexicon about sort of promoting, you know, the people um, who didn't have as much opportunity in America in the 50s and 60s, you know, with, with civil rights and things like that. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, the marginalization of certain people has become a badge of honor. And so, you know, you have in this one way that your uniqueness is your superpower, um, you know, with, with this generation. But then, but if you're Jewish, that's the caveat, right? And so you have kids that um, are wanting to identify with, as an underdog, whether it's, you know, that they have a special learning disorder or they have a special ability to play a musical instrument or there's different ways to set yourself apart. But I find that there's a real victim mentality with the kids today. They want to be victimized somehow. And even though the Jews are, I think, less than 1% of the population of the world, somehow the Jews are seen to be the, quote, white oppressor. Um, And, you know, we have to take that lexicon and change it. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, because Jewish people, um, even though Israel is not a white country, it's really not. I mean, there's so many brown and black people who are there and they're, they're mi- mixing with the Ashkenazi population to create a new population of people. You have this idea that is pervasive in Western thought and maybe even Eastern thought that Israel is a white oppressor and it's not. And so it and because that's what's in the lexicon of thought, um, you know, the Palestinians are looked at as the brown downtrodden, even though there are a billion Muslims and Arabs in the world that, are, that they're a part of. So it's a very strange, um, mm-hmm. it, it's a very strange concept. And to be able to change the narrative, because rhetoric is so important. We have, to, we have to change the narrative. We have to flip the rhetoric on its head. We have to put the, put the, 
it's the truth, but rhetoric is so important. We have to meet the players where they are, right? We have to be able to meet these people on the on the ground that they're on. They're not coming to us. They don't need us to change the narrative. So we need to meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And we need to get the lexicon and the tools and the rhetoric to say, no, that's not true and here's why. Mm -hmm. And sort of use, use their language in the same way, but for our benefit, for our purposes. What does it mean to be part of a tribe? What is my indigenous name? My indigenous name is Henya Rivka. That's my Jewish name. So that's my indigenous name because they're constantly talking about indigenous peoples on the left, you know, which is where, you know, political anti-Semitism is so pervasive. Okay. And so to take sort of those ideas of what an indigenous people is, um, you know, what are our claims to the land? You know, where did we be, where did we begin and how that is sort of um, important in the, in the sense of meeting these people who are trying to make us feel that we don't have a claim to Israel, that our Jewishness is a stain, um, meeting them where they are and saying, no, you've got it wrong. You don't know the history. You don't know the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, being able to empower our children with those tools and those, that language, um, because it is a language, um, is critical. And so I think that that's something that we as parents have to try to start doing and figuring out and figuring out what is that language? What are those tools? You know, and, and, you know, we have to, as an older sort of generation, have to get on the level of our kids and sort of get in the sandbox with them Mm -hmm. and figure it out and help them Mm -hmm. and help them with that. I think that not only when you do that, you will also answer some of the questions that you as parents have. Because our kids are our greatest teachers, ultimately, because they force us to figure out who we are, if that's who we want them to be. There's no wiggle room here. And I think that there are a lot of confused Jews about who their Judaism is. And that what, when they see what's happening with their kids, it's in a way forcing them to decide, is this worth fighting for? What is going on here? And something that you just said a couple minutes ago, it, in some ways, I think Jews are taking some of the abuse. And some there, I don't know if my listeners are aware of, there isn't a day that goes by in the United States without major anti-Semitic incidents. They're just not reported. But if there's a guilt feeling, like, oh, I kind of deserve this, then, so that's, and we don't deserve it. We don't deserve that kind of abuse. Um, we don't deserve to have some very public figures who in very much ways are lauded in the United States, either because they're a sports figure or a movie star or, you know, some of the heroes of today, which is another discussion, why these people are heroes today and not the cancer researchers and the teachers, okay, who, who have much harder jobs and really deserve um, all the accolades. But that's who grabs the Instagram, the TikToks, and those are the people that when then they have an opinion and they've got, I don't know, 19 or 20 million followers, all of a sudden this just isn't like someone bothered me in, in the playground. This is much, much bigger because you have a lot of people out there who are ignorant, who don't have an opinion, maybe never met a Jew, don't have an opinion on a Jew, don't really have an opinion on Israel, who are now saying, well, if so-and-so is feeling like this, then maybe it's true. And to add to the mix, which is super frightening, is the super availability of weapons so that anybody with just even a thought and no time to really think it out could maybe really hurt somebody. So it's not just a matter of calling somebody a dirty Jew. 
it can get much worse. And we've seen it with attacks on synagogues and in other places here. That rhetoric, when married to the ability to hurt, that's when it starts getting really, really, really dangerous. And I know some people who think that what's happening in the West is akin to 1930s Germany. I don't think, personally, I don't think, as a student really of the Holocaust, I don't think we're quite there yet. Germany was a very different society, a very disciplined society. The message was given in a very certain way. You can't really stay on message in in the Western world anymore because the messages are coming from everywhere. You can't. And there wasn't. Remember, 100 years ago, information was given from very specific sources, and that was it. So in a way, the fact that we have multiple messaging sites now is good, all right, because you can't have that one. Uh, on the other hand, it's bad because still most of the messaging is coming, it's lies. And you have to be very, very focused on where your kids are learning their stuff and who they're listening to. And it's, I, I mean, I, I'm so glad my kids aren't teenagers anymore because I look around and this is just such a difficult time. And that's why I came in, came in from Israel because basically you and some other people in the community said maybe... Maybe you can help us here. Maybe coming from Israel, where Israelis by nature are fighting for Judaism. Not necessarily for the religious aspect of Judaism, but we are being attacked every single day because we are Jews, because we live in a Jewish state. Okay, whether somebody... Uh, you know, is a, is, has embraced the Judaism or not, that's just the way it is. Jewish state gets attacked. And so many Israelis have, have had, if you're going to stick with it, it better be worth it. And so we have developed some kind of an ability to be able to defend ourselves. Um, definitely physically, Israel's awesome like that. And some of us have developed the ability to articulate what that means and defend ourselves that way. And so I would love to if people, not just in the United States, in Australia or in Europe, who are struggling with what Hillary's struggling with, used some of us Israelis to come in, and we don't have the answers, but we have some things in our toolbox that maybe you haven't thought of yet. And, and if we can do that, and if we can be that resource, then that's what we need to do. And there are some people who said to me, well, go there and tell them to come and move to Israel. And I don't think that's the answer. Jews and Christians and Buddhists and gays and blacks and everybody who is whatever have the right to live safely in societies without having to feel like they have a place to flee. So because the Jews have a place to flee, you should flee? No, no. You should make sure that you can live safely where you are. And anti-Semitism ends up always being the opening to the door of much, much worse antis. It never, ever just ends with the Jews, ever. We're like the canary in the coal mine and the warning cry. So um, thank you for having me here. And, uh, you know, whatever I can do, um, as flawed as it is, and there's no easy answers here. There are no easy answers, but maybe just some suggestions. Um, before your kids get out into that real world, which is a super difficult world, um, to maybe give them you know, the, the ability to defend themselves, to understand if this is even worth it. Because... When you're hated and you're attacked just for so long, at some point you just start thinking, well, maybe, uh, maybe they're right. Maybe we just deserve this. And that's a terrible, terrible way to think because I look around and I'm an incredibly, insanely proud Jew, as I know you are also. And I know that we're deeply flawed and we've made a lot of mistakes. But we have changed the world in many, many positive ways. And we want to continue to do that. And every civilization that gets rid of its Jews ends up at some point falling apart.
for whatever reason. I don't want to see that happen, not to this country, which I love beyond, just love in the United States, and not to other countries as well. So thank you for, you know, again, thank you for bringing me here. And, um, and we will continue this. And anybody who's listening right now, I'm sure, like Hillary, wouldn't mind if people are in touch, you know, with you and said, like, how, what's, you know, how are you doing this in your school? What are the challenges that you have um, in specifically in Atlanta, which is different, as you mentioned at the beginning, from Miami or from New York or from other cities that have maybe more Jews or more solid representation there. And, uh, and let's see if we can't make a little difference. We're not going to change everything, but we have to try. And I think that's on every person. I think that's what God wants from us. He wants you to try. Whether you succeed or not is already sometimes beyond your abilities, but you have to give 100%. Are we out there with the world that we have and with the kids that we love giving 100%? So, Hillary, thank you so much for joining me here today. I want to thank, thank Ben and Tabitha uh, and, uh, and the platform and the Land of Israel Network. And for all you guys listening to, um, you know, to keep, keep doing, to keep fighting the good fight, it is not over yet uh, by a long shot. And we have a lot that we have to do. And I'm really, you know, privileged in some way, hopefully, to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Take care, everybody. And that's going to be it for today because I've got to run out to the school and talk to the kids. So uh, goodbye, wherever you are. I hope you are well. And goodbye for now. Every Sunday, join the Land of Israel Fellowship. This live interactive Zoom experience is hosted by Jeremy Gimpel and Arya Bromowitz with participants from around the world. To join, visit thelandofisrael.com slash fellowship.